This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Excited to be back on the podcast, The Comeback, with my friend David Stone. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you, Trey? Good, good. Um, the comeback, stories that inspire, is we spend a lot of time just looking at people's lives who have been there, done that, have had their backs against the wall, who have faced adversity, and really being encouraged by the power of a testimony, but then also breaking that down and realizing that if you really want a, a comeback or you really want to see a better day, that there are oftentimes, you know, very practical steps. Obviously, it's always the grace and the love and the mercy and the power of God that finds us at our darkest and worst hour. But there is a part of humility and being able to participate with the Spirit's work that has to be in play as well. Um, one of my favorite verses is Revelation twelve eleven. It says, And they overcame him, talking about the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And so we know that one of our most powerful weapons that we have is our testimony. I mean, people can argue so many different points of the Bible and different doctrines, et cetera, but you cannot argue the power of a transformed life. So David and I met, he is the owner of Ryan's Gun Shop, where I have bought a small arsenal, especially last year as we saw the political unrest here in the United States and didn't know which way everything was going to play out. And, uh, and I'd met him actually before that. And, um, you know, in, in, in last year of, of somebody that is, you know, well-versed in combat tactics and weapons, and I spent a lot of time over there just hanging out and, and learning from him and knew that um, he had a love for the Lord. And, you know, we actually, I think we talked about this podcast some last year, and now the timing is right. We have a mutual friend in Jeff Lyle, um, who we both love dearly, and uh, just really, really cool to to be here with you. It's good to be here, Trey. I've been nervous about this, but I'm excited to do it for sure. Well, I'm excited too, and I know that... Um, you know, and, and I know it's a big deal, and I know that you're a professional speaker, that you spend a lot of your adult life, professional career traveling and speaking, and so this, you know, coming from a place of, you know, being vulnerable in a different type of event. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I um, grew up with Jeff. We met when we were seven. You know, we've been friends for a long time, and I actually, you know, called Jeff to get some advice <laughs> about what to do, having never done an actual podcast before, and then listened to several of yours, and it was just good. It was good to hear all of these testimonies from all these other people, and it was so easy to relate because I had maybe not the exact same story, but I had, you know, very similar stories, so it was it was great to hear the other podcast to kind of prepare for today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, you know, and, that, and that's it, man. I mean, it's just uh, the, the similarities, and even if a little bit of the scenery is different, we can typically find ourselves in the narrative, it, you know, it, 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 in some shape, form, or fashion. But I know that you've got a story. I know that you've got a powerful testimony, and uh, we'd love to hear it. Well, you know, I guess I should start really with letting your listeners know that— uh, I grew up in a Christian home. You know, I, I had very 
strict parents, not military kind of strict, but um, Christian strict, you know what I mean? (laughs) Meaning you had to do the right thing. You had to, you know, tell the truth and yes, sir, and no, sir. And I I didn't, um, you know, regret having to go to church every time the doors were open. I I love church. I found, you know, God in church when I was a a youngster. So uh, I, I grew up, you know, loving the Lord and praying and uh, vacation Bible schools and, um, you know, just going through youth groups, you know, all the way through my middle school uh, years and even in, into high school. Um, it was really when, you know, we made the transition from middle school into high school that things started to, you know, take take a dark turn for me. But, um, uh, you know, I guess I would I would start to give a little bit of, of even more background, I, I have a six-year-older brother. Um, I have two sisters younger, uh, but it was my, my older brother, I think, that, you know, and I, I don't want to blame him. <laughs> He'll be like, you bus rolled me. No, no, no. But, you know, he was always an instigator for sure. He was always pushing oh, yeah. the limits and, you know, testing everything he could. So he, he was bending <laughs> all the windows, you know, flexing them as far out as they would go. And I just, you know, admired him. You know, he's my bigger brother. I couldn't really relate with him, though, because six years difference, it was obviously, you know, a big gap. But... He, he started a path down drugs and alcohol, and uh, I just remember at a very young age, I think we were 10 years old, you know, uh, that's really when I, I think I got high for the first time, smoking pot. Uh, you know, didn't know what I was doing, but I knew if, if my brother was doing it, then I wanted to do it too. So, uh, but I, you know, that's not what, what got me uh, hooked on drugs. It, it wasn't that at all. I actually was a, a star athlete. I um, loved soccer. I lived it. I breathed it. You know, I played it uh, at the state level. I played professionally for a couple of matches. So that's what I lived for. It was about 15 years old is when obviously became very interested in girls and women and um that that became, I think, one of my real first addictions was, you know, being being with women and and trying to take it way further than I should have at the age that I was. And as I was listening to one of your podcasts, you know, I, I heard about the drug addictions, you know, and and he this particular gentleman was talking about how you know, addictions with this and addictions with this and addictions. But he would always come back to an addictions with porn. And I thought, I love the fact that he didn't leave any of the addictions out, yeah. you know? And that, that really hit me because I realized that I've always had an addiction to sex or the opposite sex, that is. And um, I believe that's really, you know, not not the first addiction I had, but it was an introduction to addictions that I just didn't know about because I would, you know, (laughs) I would earn a lot of money so that I could take women, you know, out uh, to do something fun or whatever. But um, that's really kind of where I, uh, in preparation for this, I said, you know what, I'm not going to miss that part. I'm going to make sure that I let people know that it was early on that I started having addictions because that 
started to creep in. And it was an automobile accident that uh, I was in. I wasn't driving. I was in the car. I won't name the people in the car. I'll let you imagine who some of the occupants were. But um, we rolled over a few times, and I was injured, my back, severely. And so um, I ended up, uh, because I was a state select player for soccer, and... um, like I said, playing professionally at a very young age as an alternate. And that stopped my career. Everything that I had been working for, everything that I had been longing for, and I had achieved everything that I wanted to achieve in soccer, and it was over. It it, it was over, and I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated And that's when we started turning to alcohol and cigarettes, you know, and so uh, smoking. My grandfather always smoked, and, you know, he would do the little dragon breath, you know, and we always thought, oh, wow, that's so cool, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So whenever we'd go over to Meemaw and Pawpaw's house, we'd always steal some of his viceroys and, you know, go back into the back of the, the little woods part and and smoke our little viceroys you know and try to sneak them home but uh that that kind of you know that started so it was addiction to tobacco and that led to marijuana and marijuana led to alcohol and so during my high school years you know we we um we had a struggle uh i went to a particular elementary school all five years following the chain of course to the next you know middle school in that same um, group and in seventh grade we didn't move but we got rezoned and I had always been extremely active in school you know uh, student council president and uh, class president you know just super involved in my my early days of schooling and to no fault of my own, in my eighth grade year, we got transferred to a completely different school. We didn't know anybody. He's mm-hmm. like starting over, it, and it was seemed so unfair uh, that that was something that had to happen. But we moved to the new school. It was a larger school, bigger school. Met a lot of people that um, uh, were friends with some of the the seniors in school, mm-hmm. the juniors and the seniors. And so right out of the gate, we started making friends with older people who had access to alcohol, who had access to drugs. And being just part of their crowd, it was very easy to, you know, be out on a Friday night to go to a party with no bad intentions, but then all of a sudden end up with a beer in your hand and then a second and then how do we get home and you know how do I get rid of the smoke smell before I walk (laughs) in the house because my mother could smell alcohol about two miles away (laughs) so you know I'd have to (laughs) have to stay away from the house for a couple of hours before I could even attempt to go back yeah but it just getting in with the wrong crowd and, um, and, and, but I'm not blame shifting. You know, I was the decision maker. 
as far as what I put into my body or what I did, but I was just in the group of people that were not necessarily showing me all of the good things that, you know, I could have been doing and were showing me opportunities of things I shouldn't be doing instead. Mm -hmm. So that just led to, you know, smoking cigarettes all the time, uh, drinking alcohol when I could, getting high at every opportunity, you know, for years. And it was just no big deal for me. It was, I still made, you know, decent grades. I'm not a straight A student, but I all passing grades and um, still being active as much as I could because it was so hard to not be active anymore. So I occupied my time with work. So I would, you know, cut people's grass when I was younger. And then when I had the opportunity to get a real job, I took a real job. So I was cutting grass, doing other jobs that were, you know, real jobs for money. And so I was making money. So I could afford to do those things. And my parents didn't keep up with how I spent my money. Although, you know, I had great parents, you know, very wonderful parents. And my parents would always let me They'd let me stay out one weekend night a week. So it could be Friday or it could be Saturday. If it was Saturday, I had to be back in time for church. So we always generally chose Friday as the (laughs) night out. You know, that way you just could roll right through. through, Maybe come home at 9 o'clock the next, you know, next day. But yeah, uh, so we always chose Friday night. And I remember I was 17 years old and... um, we had at that time we had started to get into even harder drugs we'd started to get into cocaine you know not on a huge scale but on a i mean for me any scale is is too much so sure especially at 17 uh, yeah and and so we did you know we were doing the plethora of drugs you know from like i said tobacco to marijuana to cocaine Fortunately, I was never an intravenous, you know, user, so I never poked a needle in my body. Thank God, but um, but I did, you know, a lot of drugs uh, the conventional way, and not that uh, certainly not proud of anything that I did. But we had been partying all Friday, all Friday night, meaning for those of people who are struggling with those addictions know you stay up all night long. Yeah. You don't go to bed. You just continue on. And it was a continuation all through Saturday, you know, just having a great time, you know, spending time with friends and doing stuff we shouldn't be doing, which then rolled into Saturday night, which then rolled into a problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was that I wanted to stay out. I didn't want to go back home. I felt like, you know, I'm a man, you know, at 17, almost 18, I should oh, yeah. be able to do what I want to do, you know. That's right. So that's what I I decided, okay, well, I'm going to call mom and dad and, and just let them know I feel like I should be able to stay out. Okay. Well, mom promptly <laughs> reminded me that <laughs> it was one night and I'd already burned that night and it was time to come home. And I just told her, I said, I'm just not. I'm, you know, I'm 17. I'm not coming home, and I didn't, and so I continued to party all through the night, and, you know, 
two, three in the morning, I started realizing, oh, Lord, I'm going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> so, so I waited because I knew they would go to church, and I waited, you know, until I knew, and then I drove home, and I, I got into the house, and I was sitting on the couch watching, you know, the horrible TV that had three stations, and um, just scared. I was scared. You know, I was high. I was scared. Uh, finally had, you know, gotten the alcohol off of me, uh, gotten the smoke smell, you know, put away and, and washed. And then I saw the station wagon, you know, pull up out into the carport and I didn't know what to expect. And what did happen certainly caught me by surprise. My father told me that I had two choices. He said, with a black trash bag in his hand, he said, you can either come with me, get in the car, and we're going to go take you for a drug test, or you can take this black bag and you can collect your stuff and get out. Well, I knew I wasn't going to pass a drug test. <laughs> I was loaded with drugs. So I just said, as I got up off the couch and I took the black bag out of his hand, I said, well, I guess I'll get out. And so I went back to my bedroom and I packed all of my clothes I called one of my friends that um, just so happened he was, because I didn't know what to do. And so I called one of my older friends that was a kind of a friend of the family, but was also heavily into drugs. It was one of my brother's friends. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, man, I need a place to stay. He said, well, you're in luck because I'm moving into a, a new place and um, I've got an extra room. I was like, jackpots yeah. you know so i'm like well i need a ride because even though i bought my car i paid the insurance i paid the um gasoline i wasn't 18 and my dad wouldn't let me take the car he because he'd be responsible for it I and see. so i left my house with nothing with a black trash bag full of clothes to go do what i thought which was i'm gonna go do life my way right so I dropped out of high school. I was president of DECA. I had to resign from president of DECA. Um, I had to resign from a couple of other positions that I had at the high school, which was completely embarrassing. But I thought I knew what I was doing, you know. I'm minus one credit of, a half a credit of English and a half a credit of an elective of my choice. So I'm a high school dropout. Uh, but I fortunately, you know, turned out to be, very successful thank god it yeah. was only through the grace of god but i did i moved into this house which was just a disaster it was terrible because it became a house of drugs you know we started to get even to even harder drugs you know where we were doing lsd and dropping acid you know and i didn't really like that feeling but you know everybody else was doing it so why not you know and We'd fill the bathtub full of punch and alcohol and have parties, and we thought we were the bomb, you know, because everybody wanted to come over, of course, and use our money <laughs> yeah. to, to get high. But um, I thought I was doing great because I was making $250 a week, and all I had to do was get my roommate to take me down to the, the MARTA station so that I could get on a train and ride you know, to one 
other train stop where I could switch trains and then ride down to downtown Atlanta and get off and then take a bus to the governor's mansion and then walk two miles every day with a tool belt. And I had to do that every day. And I had to leave at a certain time because the last bus left at 5 o'clock. And if I wasn't there, I was just going to spend the night in downtown Atlanta. So it was not good at all. Long story short was is that my life just spiraled out of control. It was every night we were doing drugs, you know, and um, and the cocaine got worse. You know, that that became the drug of choice. And we ended up basically, you know, becoming dealers so that we could, you know, pay for our habit. You know, we'd we'd buy it, we'd we'd cut it, and um, and we'd get our take out of it, our nightly take, you know, nightly take. So it was something that just kept going on and on and on. And at some point in time, it was just out of control. But there's no way to stop it. Uh, my parents no longer in the picture, no, no adult, uh, was in the picture for me. And, you know, I, I had strayed from church just simply because I was no longer under a mandate to go to church. It's not that I didn't love church. I still did, but I had just completely forgotten everything that I was taught. And so, well, there was one night that I had finally moved out of that place, moved into a place of my own, hooked up with another buddy from high school who was also, you know, dealing drugs and uh, got a place of my own, a uh, different job, making a little more money. And it was just one night I was um, having a party in my house. I had several people in my home. And, you know, anybody who's done drugs at any point in time, especially cocaine, you know, you always keep a little bit for you so that when everybody's gone, you got that one little last bit. And um, everybody had kind of passed out on a three-day, you know, wide-open event. And... I pulled mine out the uh, last little bit and, you know, I snorted up that cocaine and I was sitting there watching TV and I was on the couch and I just remember watching the TV, but the TV turned into Miss Pac-Man and I was sitting there looking thinking, why am I watching Mrs. Pac-Man, you know? <laughs> and then I realized that my left arm was shaking and I thought, well, that's weird. And I reached over and I put my hand over on top of it to try to get it to stop, and it didn't. And I thought, oh, Lord, that, that's actually, this something's wrong. <laughs> you know, this is not good. Yeah. And uh, it was that that I was like, oh, this is it. This, I don't want to be like this. And so I, I had probably a quarter bag of weed. I had, you know, maybe a few more lines of Coke left on the, TV tray, and I, I took everything straight to the uh, toilet. I flushed it down the toilet, and I just started waking people up. Get out of my house. Get out of my house and don't ever come back. And so that's what I did. I threw everybody out. And that was the last time I ever did cocaine. I, was, I knew that it wasn't normal that my body should do that. My mother was an RN, so you know I knew a, a lot about how things are supposed to work as far as medical is concerned. And I knew your arm should not be moving, you know, when, when you're not moving it, you know, and it's jumping around doing its own little thing. I thought, that's not good. So I need to stop that. So that was the last day for that. The, you know, alcohol and the, um, 
marijuana and all that continue. I smoked cigarettes, you know, for that didn't bother me. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. what's, what's the big deal with cigarettes? But I realized, you know, looking back on it, that it is a big deal. You know, it's something that it's an ad- it's an addiction that, you know, it's just one of those things that y- y- you got to try to overcome. So um, I'm glad that I I was able to get cocaine out of my life and I could function with everything else you know I could go to work high and nobody know it you know and I could do my job or at least I thought I could you know Mm -hmm. I'm sure there were several mistakes I made but I thought I was going to be doing you know just fine there was a marriage uh in there um uh where it was, you know, her parents couldn't stand me. I don't know why I didn't have a job or a car or anything else, you know. But uh, <laughs> And I eloped with her daughter, so I'm not sure why, you know, uh, they didn't like me. I, and I was very curious when her dad said, well, I'd like to get to know you and invited me on a hunting trip, you know. And his hat had horns and, you know, my hat had horns and he had a, you know, orange vest. But... It just turned out he was, uh, I'm going to help you try to get your life straight. So he helped me get into the car business, which is where my career really took off, you know, was out of the car business. But it was through him helping me, you know, get a job, you know, start learning the business and helping me along with that business that that's really what kind of helped me move out of some of the things that I was doing. Yeah. The marriage failed, a daughter out of the marriage, and, you know, in a large part, I I had become an alcoholic. I think that um, alcohol started to just drown out all my bad sorrows and hard times, and so she would always say, you know, you got to quit drinking, and I'm thinking, why? You know, I don't have a problem, but it's because I would drink and pass out and not realize I had a problem, (laughs) you know? I didn't realize drinking and passing out was a problem, but it turns out it is. So, uh, alcohol, you know, listen, I've run the whole gamut of things, you know, uh, I know that there are some more serious drugs out there and thank God I never got into those, but, um, I certainly had my fair share of addictions with all these other things. Um, I, I ended up divorcing. I got into a second marriage. Alcohol had been, you know, rampant through all of that cigarettes rampant through all that marijuana intermittently through that i i never really quit smoking pot for a long time um it was my third marriage that really kind of said hey i need to i need to stop doing all of these things you know i I, it's so embarrassing because my parents have been married 59 years this year you know and uh, all of my friends from church, you know, still cared about me. They knew what was going on through my parents, so my Sunday school teachers and all their friends, you know. And so I just, that kind of kept me away from church because I was more embarrassed than anything. Wow. But um, I got to a point where I said, I. I got to quit embarrassing my parents because even though they had kicked me out of the house, I always respected my parents. I always, you know, smoked for 13 years. They never saw me smoke. I would never smoke in front of them, never drink in front of them, just out of respect. You know, I respected my parents. 
So I thought, I got to do this, right? I've already embarrassed them with two failed marriages. Let me see what I can do to make this one better. And so I quit drinking. Um, I quit smoking. And I got back into church. And I thought, this is great because I'm going to get my life turned around. And that's what happened. So I started going to church um, with Jeff uh, when he was pastoring another church. And um, it was great. It was a growing period. It was a coming back to Christ, rededicating my life. Uh, And I lived church for 10, 12 years um, because I wanted to, I needed to, you know, and I was able to uh, quit smoking cigarettes, quit drinking alcohol. I still occasionally would smoke but pot, but not nearly as much as I had in the past. And it was very rare that, that I would do it, but I did is the point. And so I thought, well, I'm doing okay because I'm doing pretty much everything right, but I really wasn't, you know. And even though I, I had a very Christian-looking life, mm-hmm. I realized that I had not completely given my myself all the way back over to wow. Christ. So it was um, through her deciding she was going to leave me, and it was completely unexpected. One day I was coming back from out of town because I traveled extensively, and I was coming back, and I was about an hour out, and she said, well, I'm going to go to my parents. And I thought, okay, we'll wait because they live six hours away. I said, I want to see the kids before you go because she had a daughter from a previous marriage, and I wanted to see my kids before she left. And she's like, no, I'm just going to go ahead and go. And I'm thinking, I'm only an hour away. You know, it's not going to delay you that much. She's like, no, I'm going to go. So I got home, and sure enough, she was gone, but nothing was really taken, not even clothes for the kids, nothing. I couldn't see where anything was really taken, and I thought, well, that's odd. But it wasn't odd for her to go see her parents, so it was okay. I would keep calling, but the kids would answer the phone. She wouldn't. Long story short, it turned out that she had reconnected with someone else from her past. She was leaving me for him, and he had gotten her hooked on drugs. And so I fought for custody of my son, Ryan. That's why Ryan's gunshot. Mm, wow. And I got custody, and I kept saying, if you want to see him, you just need to pass a drug test. We had that all worked out in our settlement agreement, and she just never would. She never would. And when Ryan was not quite four years old, she passed away due to a drug overdose. And so I suddenly, even though I was already his father, I just became a single parent, you know, permanently. So a lot of people say, oh, you know, single dad. And they don't really think about single dad in the aspect that they go, oh, well, you must just get them part-time or, you know, or your parents help out. My parents still didn't help. You know, they, they, they forgave me for what I did, but they weren't going to help me at all. (laughs) So for the past, you know, for, well, for 12 years, I was a single father of, of Ryan, but it was finally through the death of my wife that I realized 
everything that I was doing was just stupid. It was dumb. It, it was dumb. But I couldn't lay it down because that's, as you know, that's the hook. Drugs do that. Drugs, they get their hook in you, and then they go, you know, like the devil, smiling. Ha ha, I gotcha. And as I was listening to one of your podcasts yesterday, Trey, the gentleman, he was just telling me, you know, he he kept saying, you know, oh, I I would give my life to the Lord, but then I would go keep doing drugs. You know, I would give my life to the Lord, but then I'd keep going to do drugs until one day it just, boom, punched in the face, and he realized, oh, wait, <laughs> you mean I got to give everything to you? Mm-hmm. And that resonated with me because I realized that I had done that after her death, that I did. I I just laid it at the feet of the Lord, and I said, I, I have to have help. I, I need help not only physically, I need help emotionally. I don't know how to be a father. I mean, I do. Don't get me wrong. I have children, but I don't know how to be a father by myself, you know, and and with my career. So I had to give up my career and and take trivial jobs so that I could be the father, so that I could be at every school event, so that I could, if he was sick, leave and come get him. I had to make all of these concessions that, people normally don't have to make because they have a helpmate, but I didn't. So I sacrificed for my son. I don't regret it at all. I would do it again in a heartbeat, but it was certainly a radical change for me because I went from being a successful executive to, you know, a bobcat operator, you know, bouncing around on a piece of heavy equipment. But it was great because... I solidified my relationship with Christ and I was able to raise my son, you know, in a Christian environment and to guard him from these things that had happened in my life and in wow. his mother's life. And it's only been of late. He got his driver's license yesterday, so watch out if you see him coming. <laughs> but uh, he's six he's sixteen now and he asked me last year, he started to ask, he was like I want to know what happened to mom, you know? And it was great to have these conversations of your mom died of a drug addiction, son, you know, because he was starting with some anger issues and I could see he was starting to not go down a path, but as a parent, and I only think parents would know this, you could see oh, no, that's the triggers that help someone go, yeah, I'm going to start drinking or I'm going to start, I'm going to try to rebel, if you will. Yeah. And I thought, mm, no, I'm going to be honest and I'm just going to show them. And some people may disagree with that, but I pulled out her death certificate, you know, and I pulled back part and said, here, son, this this is why your mother died. A massive overdose of you know drugs she should not have taken, uh, and it was good for him. You know, it made him sad, obviously, but it was it was good for him. But I I I wanted to say this for anybody you know listening. Um, I think that the the main thing and the reason that I wanted to do this, and I thank you so much, Trey, for asking me to do this was I wanted people to know that 
it doesn't matter what drug you're doing. Sorry, it doesn't matter what your addiction really is. Because at the end of the day, there's only one thing that can get you out of it. And it's not your parents. And it's unfortunately, it's not good landing recovery. It's God. You have to give it over to God. Because fortunately, you know, I know you told me your testimony, or I, I listened to it. You didn't tell, I listened to it. And it was, it was great. You know, it was a wonderful testimony you have, Trey. But I, I kept hearing, you know, where you had, you had help. You know, you had, you went to help. You went to help. You went to help. I didn't ever have help. Mm-hmm. I didn't have help. And it doesn't make me better than you. It does. It's just different. Mm-hmm. What happened to both of us was God. Yeah. It wasn't. Listen, you run a great organization here, and I'd encourage anybody to come check out Good Landing Recovery because if you've got issues, this is the place. This is absolutely one of the best organizations I've seen for helping people get back onto the road to recovery. So I'd strongly encourage anybody who's thinking about finding a path for recovery or a group or organization that can help them with their drug addictions, I would strongly recommend you and your organization, your fine staff that you have. But if you don't have anybody, if you don't have anyone in your life, and if you've hit rock bottom and you just have decided you can't take it anymore, I just would suggest that you fall to your knees and start having a conversation with God, even if it's an argument, (laughs) even if you're just angry at God. That's okay, because at least you're starting that conversation. And He's there. He's there. He will be there. And that's the one thing that I wanted your listeners to know more than anything is, is that, you know, You can believe in a lot of things, but there's only one thing that has stood the test of time, and I believe that that is Jesus Christ, and he will always, he always has open arms. You know, a lot of people, they think, oh, well, I've run so far from God. He would never show up for me. I would just simply say, if you'll just turn around, you'll see he's right there. He's right there in your moment of need. And I've failed him a thousand times, and I'm still going to fail him in my life. Yeah. I'm still going to fail him. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't love me anymore, because he always loves me. He is my creator. He is my everything. He's my Lord and Savior. And he knows that he has me in his hand, and if I'm in his hand. Nobody can take me out of that hand. So the thing that really, the verse for me, my life verse, is Philippians 4.13. And it just says simply this, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
And that's what I just kept rehearsing through my head every time there was a situation where I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to put these down. I don't know how I'm going to quit smoking. I don't know how I'm going to quit doing drugs. I kept going back to Philippians 4.13. And that's what did it for me. That's what did it for me. And so I appreciate this opportunity. Um, I got to tell you, I... I've never been more nervous in all my life, physically sick this morning in preparation for this. But even had a, as I told you, a long discussion with my wife last night because, you know, we've talked about my past, but not in great length. And I didn't want her to get side, you know, <laughs> side jacked in the face. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, wait a minute, you didn't tell me that. <laughs> so I told her, I said, uh, you know, I want to make sure that you're okay with this. And she was in agreement with me that if there's just one person that's out there that we can change or that we can get back to a real life where they feel good, where they're free of drugs and alcohol and whatever other addiction they may have, then this was a total success. So Forget all of the anxiety I had, the nerves I had, the tears I have cried. Yeah. Uh, I'm so thankful that you gave me this opportunity, and I just would uh, hope that somebody hears this and says, "Man, that's me," and you know, that was great. So I, that's what I hoped, right? Yeah, this has been incredible, and I know it's already impacted me just sitting across the desk from you and being able to hear is just, it's, it's remarkable. It's a remarkable story of God's grace. And, um, you know, I just, uh, we, we had a testimony today, a guy, um, named Taylor flowers shared his story on our podcast. And, you know, one of my favorite things that he says is that good landing didn't save me. He said, you know, it's, it's a personal relationship with Jesus that did it. And good landing is nothing but an atmosphere that hopefully will create an opportunity for somebody to do that. And, whether they're in a program or, like you said, they don't have a program to go to, to fall to their knees and cry out to the one, to the name that is is the only name under heaven in which men can be saved by. And it's just, it's just so powerful, man. I'm just so grateful for your story, grateful that um, Jeff recommended that I go to your gun shop and, <laughs> and meet you and, uh, and never would have thought that it would have that would have um, you know brought us even to this point but this is incredible man and I look forward to uh, doing part two in the near future that sounds good and I'm always ready I appreciate it thank you so much thank you Trey guys thank you so much for listening to our podcast it is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you if you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction please give us a call it's 770-570-7422